and be seated. Take your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 55. It's going to be a moment before we get there, but go ahead and turn there. Um, we're going to walk through a couple of things today. Let me just tell you that um, today um, I have a difficult task. I have a difficult task today based on what we're talking about and how we're going to talk about it. Um, we're, we're talking today, we're in this series called Prayer and Worship, and today we're talking about prayer. And, and here's the thing. We're going to talk about what prayer is. We can talk about how we interact with God. That, that's kind of the idea of today. And as I was preparing this week, um, I, I just thought about the fact that I don't think anything that I say today will be a aha moment for you, a eureka moment, a, like a never thought of that moment, right? I don't think that anything I say today about what prayer is or how we ought to be doing prayer, I don't think there's going to be a moment today where you just go, man, I never thought of that. Wow, where did that come from? And so what the the danger in a message like that, the danger in a message is kind of straightforward, and it's going to be a pretty straightforward message, is that you could walk away kind of unimpressed. Like, not with me, just with everything. Like, ah, it's all right. That's, it's okay. Yeah, nothing big. Nothing. That's, that's what we expected. Um, I was thinking about that this week when I, I saw a story about a lady that just made me laugh. All right. I don't know if anybody saw this story, but this this lady this week made me laugh. This is Flossie Dickey. Anybody see Flossie Dickey's story this week? Anybody? A couple of you, right? Flossie Dickey turned 110 this week. 110 years old. She's in a nursing home up in the northwest. And the local news station was there to interview Flossie for their local morning news show about turning 110. Now, the news lady is probably a 25-year-old field reporter that has had about 12 cups of coffee. By the time she's interviewing Flossie for her 110th birthday, Flossie's holding a coffee cup, and it's a it's it's product placement. It's for the station that is doing the interview. And so she says, we got you some coffee because you said you were a little tired. She said, I just want to take a nap. It's on TV, live TV, you're doing it. And then she says, well, here, she goes, what are your favorite pastimes? She goes, I take as many naps as possible. I was like, amen. We can all agree on that, right? But then the funny thing to me, this was my favorite part. So they go through, you know, this, 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 uh, the morning, uh, interviewers, like really hyper and good. And we, we need to know your secrets. What is, what do you, how do you live to be 110? And then she said, I understand that they're doing a big celebration for you this afternoon, that family's coming in, friends, that the nursing home here, they're going to do a big celebration. They're going to celebrate your 110th birthday. Are you excited about that party this afternoon? And El, she looked at him and Flossie said, not one bit. Not interested at all, all right? And so my fear is that we'll get through the end of the sermon and you'll go, all right, we knew all that, okay? Because here's the deal. I don't think anybody here when I talk about prayer is going to go, oh, I'm supposed to be doing that? Like, oh, that I can talk to God? That's part of, wow, I didn't know that. And here's what can generally happen in these kind of messages, I mean, in, in Scripture, it's not hard to find that we're supposed to pray, right? It's not really even hard to find how to pray. I mean, Jesus, he gets asked in two Gospels, teaches to pray, and he gives a way to pray. So it's not hard to find that we're supposed to, and it's not hard to find how. And yet, if we're honest, as people who know they should be praying, as people who know how to pray for the most part, we are 
my guests pretty weak when it comes to prayer. We don't do it enough. If I said, what, what's your prayer life like? My, my guess is for a majority of us in this room, we would say it's just, it's just, it's just not where it's supposed to be. Man, I wish it was better. I wish, I wish I could concentrate more. I wish I could do it more. It's just not where I want to be. And some of you are like, I honestly hadn't even thought about it in like six months. So this is how it could go today. I could come in and I could point out, man, you should be praying. You're not praying. You're lazy about it. You like the zeal involved. You, you really uh, like the seriousness that's there. You, you should be doing it more. Get out there and go pray. And many of you, out of guilt, maybe kind of a drive-by guilting, would go, oh man, i got to pray more. And you go to lunch, and at lunchtime you would pray the 20-minute prayer, and immediately your family would not let you pray at meals anymore. Right? Or you would really get hyped up about a calendar and you got a schedule and you, you get an app and you're like, I'm going to do my prayer app and I'm going to do my prayer reading and, and I'm really going to be in tonight. I mean, I got to pray more. And so you go to bed tonight and before you go to bed tonight, you pray and you get up in the morning, you get, you set your alarm five minutes, ten minutes earlier. I'm going to pray and you really get on fire with it. But here's the problem. When your motivation is guilt, guilt led motivation eventually leads to not doing it. Guilt led motivation over time leads to not doing it, and then you become discouraged, and then you become disappointed in yourself, and before long, you're back to where you were. And six months later, I come out here and I say, man, are you praying? Because you need to be praying. You need to be better at praying. You need to pray more. You need to pray harder. You need to pray longer. And you go, man, I need to be praying. And so I'm going to go home, and I'm going to pray, and then you do that for a couple of weeks. Here's the thing. You're not going to automatically get better at something you stink at just because you feel guilty about it. And the truth is, I could get up here every month and go, man, y'all are, y'all got to be better about that. We got to be better about this as a church. But it doesn't accomplish the task of wanting to do it. And until our lives get to the point where we want to pray, then prayer is always going to be a chore and a task that we try to do. So here's what I want to do today. I want to start just a minute. We're going to talk about two reasons we don't pray. I want to do that. And then we're going to move into, I want to do something different. I don't want to look at, you should be praying. This is how you're praying. This is what prayer looks like. I want to look at prayer from God's perspective for a moment. I want to see if there's motivation for us in the way God looks at prayer instead of the guilt of we're not doing it well enough. And so we're going to look at a couple of reasons we don't pray. Then we're going to look at two simple truths that I think will lead us to some conclusions about prayer. And at the end of it, hopefully it'll be better than Flossie's 110th birthday. All right. So here's the first reason we don't pray. The first reason people pray is we have an unhealthy fear of God. Now, here's what I mean by that. First of all, notice that the word unhealthy is there for a reason. Because the fear of God is kind of an important trait to following God. In Scripture, in fact, it says that the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. That's what it says in Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so the Bible wants us to have a healthy fear of God. And here's the reason. is because God is an awesome being. And I don't mean like in the rad 80s awesome, everything's cool kind of thing. I'm talking about in the original intention of the word, which means something with which we hold awe. Unbelievable. Undescribable. You can't even get your mind around awesome. I mean, I, I think about the times in my life when I have been out in nature or somewhere where nature's force is 
it's just evident. You know, I grew up in West Tennessee and we, we would occasionally go fishing. And sometimes we, in our fishing, we would end up on kind of a tributary of the Mississippi River. And you go look at the Mississippi River. And then when you saw that river flowing and the violence with which it was flowing, I didn't think, man, I'm strong enough to swim that thing. Well, it doesn't matter how many how many pull-ups I can do, no matter how much I can swim, how many series I have, there's no way I can do that. Or, or I remember standing on a cliff one time in a, in a, in kind of a, just a woods area. It wasn't even a big waterfall, but it was just a waterfall. And just seeing the power of the water coming off of that or standing on the edge of the ocean and seeing those waves crash in while you were around. Or, um, as a child, we, uh, had a tornado hit our street. I know Goodlettsville's had a couple of tornadoes. We had a tornado hit our street. And just to see the sheer force of wind, I mean, even the other day, it wasn't a tornado, but like, was that Thursday or Friday when the wind was just horrible? I mean, it's just, and you're like, this isn't even bad. And if we get nervous or concerned about the creation, then there ought to be a rightful respect and reverence for the creator. He's the one behind it. And so there has to be a healthy reverence and a healthy fear, and, and specifically when it comes to sin. Not, not just the natural stuff, but in our lives we think about sin. That we have to have a reverence for God because of His stance on sin. And when it comes to sin, it's unequivocal. God hates sin. He hates it. It is blatant rebellion against Him. And if you want to see how much He hates sin, you just look to the cross and Jesus Christ and what happened to Him. But over time as a believer, our understanding of the fear we have of God and the God's hatred for sin... But gets buffered. It gets buffered a little bit by an understanding of the holy love God has for us. And as you become a believer, now this isn't for everybody. This is just for those that are believers in Jesus Christ. You begin to get more and more of a sense of his love. And what should happen in our lives is we have a proper reverence and awe for him. But we also understand that he is a God to whom we can run. A few years ago, I was uh, at a conference and um, a guy named Matt Chandler was speaking. And it's just one of those moments. I, I wasn't even in the hall. It, it was Southern Baptist Convention. And if you've ever been to Southern Baptist Convention, which is about eight, eight of you total. All right. But there are all kinds of stuff going on. Guys up there preaching and then there's exhibits all over the place, kind of behind a curtain and all that kind of stuff. And so I was walking. I wasn't even in the place where he was preaching. And I just remember drive by hearing. All right. So I'm going by and I hear him say. If you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, then when you mess up, the one place you ought to go is to the father. And when we have an unhealthy fear of God, we go in the opposite direction because we're scared of what he'll do. When I was. Eight years old. I was playing soccer in my bedroom with one of those kind of squishy balls. You know, you can get at Walmart. They have the big things. You know what I'm talking about? Just nod your head and let me know you're awake. All right. So I had one of those. And I kicked the best soccer kick of my life right into the window. And it shattered. I went to my brother's room and got behind the bed. Now, my brother's room was upstairs. Mine was downstairs. And I could hear mom going, Lyle? Dad was not the one calling because I think mom had told him, you cannot talk to him right now. You're, the anger is a little too much at this moment. You, 
Any of you parents ever had that moment like, you need to go calm down. I'll go talk to him for a second, all right? I had kicked it through the window, and I thought, my parents are going to kill me. Like, literally, I think, they're going to kill me. Or I'm going to have to pay this off the rest of my life. And I went and huddled in a corner to avoid them. Almost like Adam and Eve in Genesis, right? And yet, when as you grow in your relationship with Christ, you realize God does hate sin, but he loves you. And he doesn't want you to run from him. He wants you to run to him. Most of us um, don't remember that well, and so we find ourselves thinking God doesn't like us or care about us. And this unhealthy fear that God doesn't want to be around us, that God doesn't like us. And we don't like to be around people that don't like us. I mean, when's the last time you had a dinner party and said, honey, let's just invite everybody that doesn't like us? Man, I think that'd be an awesome evening. Let's just, I mean, you, let's, anybody we've made mad in the last six months, let's get all those people to our house and just have a good meal together. Like, you don't do that, right? You don't want to be around those kind of people. And the more you believe God is disappointed in you, the more in your mind you think he's frustrated with you, the more you think he is angry with you, the less likely it is that you will run to him when you need him. So we have an unhealthy fear of God. Here's the second reason we don't pray. We have an unhealthy trust in ourselves. We don't think we need him. We operate under the illusion of control. I've got all this taken care of. Bank balance is in good order. Got the credit cards paid off. Got some savings in there. Got my Dave Ramsey three-month emergency fund built up. No problems. I'm safe. I'm secure. I don't need anything. Think about the scripture passage we talked a little bit last week in Revelation. and the last of those seven churches, he says, you say, I'm rich, I have need of nothing. Or think about uh, in Jesus telling the parables that the guy built these storage bins and he says, um, eat, drink, and be merry, <laughs> you fool, because tomorrow you will die. Like we think, oh, everything's good, no problems. And yet we are all one phone call from life spinning completely out of control. One phone call. We don't like to operate under the illusion that we are out of control, but the truth is we don't control it. And we think we do. We don't run to the Lord. Or we think we're better than we're all. Like like the world around us says, just believe in yourself. Just trust in yourself. Just find your passion. Just be who you are. Just You're awesome like you are. You're good like you are. You're appropriate like you are. You are born this way. Just be that way. And so we think of ourselves better than we are, and as a result, we think we don't need the holiness of God. Why do we need to pray? We're good, we're fine, we're making it on our own. And yet at some point in our lives, everyone comes face to face with their human nature. And so we don't pray because we have an unhealthy fear of God, because we have an unhealthy view or trust in ourselves. And so knowing that, the question is, well, what is prayer from God's point of view? Why is it important? Why does he care about prayer? I'll give you two simple truths today. We're at Isaiah 55. I promise we're getting there in just a second. Here's the first truth from God's point of view. It's an amazing principle. The first one is we have been invited into the presence of God. We have been invited into the presence of God. I, I want you to hear this clearly. I want you to hear clearly what's being said here. We are not unwanted house guests of our Lord. You ever had somebody stay a little longer than they probably should have at your house? Please don't point or reference anybody in the room. But, like, you ever had, like, a party and, like, you're cleaning up. And, like, I've been cleaning up for, like, 20 minutes. I mean, uh, 
this might be a hint that it's time to mosey on out, right? Or like somebody's come and stayed for a weekend and a weekend turns into a long, long weekend, right? You know what it's like to have people at your house that are unwanted or have stayed past their welcome. And here's the truth. When it comes to God's provision for us, we never stay too long. We're never unwanted. We're never unwelcome. Maybe you have people that say to you all the time, come by any time, stay as long as you want. And what they're saying is, please don't come this week. And when you're there, a couple hours will be good most, right? Come in any time, any time, just give us two weeks notice, it'll be good, right? God is like, come anyways. Look at Isaiah chapter 55, that's where we are, starting right at the beginning. Isaiah chapter 55, starting in verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. Who who has money, no money? Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine. Obviously not a Southern Baptist. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. And so here's what he's saying to him. He says, listen, whoever you are, come. Now, there are a couple of important words in here. One of them is the word wine. Because in their day and time, wine represented joy. It represented fullness. It represented uh, kind of like splurging. And he says, come, get the best. Come have joy. Come enjoy life. And milk. Milk was the strength that we need. And it was what was going on. He, he says, those that are thirsty, those that have need, those that are looking for something, Come And so what we have here is he removes all excuses we have for not coming to him. In fact, he says, listen, you don't have any money. It's been paid for. Come on. You're worried about what's there. Come on. It's only the good stuff. Come on. You need strength for today. Come on. You need to help with life. Come on. You don't think you can make it through another day like this. Come on. You don't know what's going to happen in your life over the next few months. And financially, you're just worried about what's going to happen. Don't worry about it. Come. I mean, we talked about not being a wanted house guest. But we all have people in our lives that are genuinely like, anytime, come. Really? I don't have anything to bring. No, 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 no. Come. We're going to have dinner tonight. Oh, I can't come because I don't have anything to bring. No, don't bring anything. Just come. And what happens here is God says to us, come. I want you. I want to be in your presence. I want you in my presence. I want you around my table. I want you in the midst of me. It reminds me of Jesus in the New Testament when he says in Matthew, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will what? Give you rest. In fact, he goes on in Isaiah 55 to say, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. He's like, like, like stop, stop with the ADD stuff, trying to chase after everything under the sun, and listen to me. Quit trying to find fulfillment in other things. Why are you spending your money on that? Why are you going that direction? Why are you chasing that? Why are you going after them? Why are you trying that relationship? Why are you trying to get that job? Find your satisfaction. Come, listen, listen to me. Come to me. Because I have your best. Eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. It's like, like I, don't, I don't understand why you're, you're eating cheese and crackers when there's a steak dinner over here. Night, last Sunday night. I cooked steak outside, all right? I don't know if you remember, it was kind of sleeting outside. It's the first time I ever cooked steak in sleep, but it was good. I may do that more often, all right? And I sat around, and, and Luke doesn't eat steak. He ate chicken, which if you like chicken, that's fine, but... It's like I was going, you don't understand what you're missing, right? Right? Okay. I mean, like, like, you're not eating the good stuff. 
Like you're settling over there. Or or uh, I, I put it on there and they, uh, you know those little charred bits of fat? Oh, yeah, y'all know that? Like, 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 ew, that's gross. I'm not eating that. I'm like, well, put it over here. I know it may add 10 pounds and short my life for six months, but bring it on. All right. Like, why am I going to eat the, the rabbit food of salad and chicken when I got steak? Right. God says, come eat the good stuff. Delight yourselves in. You know why I think steak is of God, right? It is rich food, steak and chocolate. That's all you need, right? It's Lyle's diet plan for you. Rich food. Then he goes on to say this. Look, incline your ear. Come to me here that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting company. My steadfast, sure love for David. This is why this is important. He says, come. Okay. He says, come to me. And he doesn't say, come to me if you've got everything figured out. He doesn't say, come to me if you've got all your problems worked out. He doesn't say, come to me if you've got yourself perfected in every way. He says, whoever you are, no matter what you have or don't have, Come, I want you in my presence. I want to spend time with you. And then he references David. Now, that's, a couple, that's re- important for two reasons. First of all, it reminds us of the sure love of David. It reminds us of the Davidic line that's coming. And Jesus is going to eventually be that. And will buy our salvation for us on the cross. And that's important. But it also reminds us of who David is. Now, when I say David, do you think more positive or negative? Positive, right? Now, David had his problems, though, right? I mean, he was lazy. When the kings are supposed to go to war, where's David? Hanging around the house, checking out the neighbor's wife. Right? That's what's happening. Checking her out to the point that he what? Like, I don't want to say. It's church, right? That he has, he, he investigates further, right? He commits adultery. And then he commits adultery and he tries to cover it up and he has her killed. No, so this is David's rap sheet, all right? Lazy, adulterer, murderer. His rap sheet's worse than mine. I don't mean that in some spiritual way. We all are sinners. Like, that's worse than mine. And if it's not worse than yours, I probably need to call the authorities. All right? Like, that's bad, right? If, if I walked up here today and I was interviewing to be your pastor and I said, just, just this little, I got a little, I got a little incident in the past where uh, I committed adultery with the neighbor's wife and then had her husband killed. But I, I'm over that. I'm past it. I've moved past those anger issues. And like, you're going to go, no. But look what it says. David, my steadfast, sure love for David. What it means in this context is, if David couldn't mess it up, neither can you. I love you. And I want to spend time with you. In fact... Here's the thing that flows out of this understanding that that God has asked us into his presence. Here's what comes out of it. The Father loves to hear us pray. Now, now let that sink in for a minute. The Father loves to hear us pray. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a household and in a church setting and in a faith where I thought I was required to pray, almost like I was required to do mathematics at school. Like it was something I had to do. I never stopped for a moment to think, you mean God loves it when I do that? God enjoys it? He wants that? In Luke 11, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, hey, hey Jesus, we need you to teach us to pray. Like, like we've watched John 
taught his disciples. We've watched you pray, man, I, I, and we, we are blown away by how you pray. The intimacy you're there. He says, show us how to pray. Jesus, just teach us. In fact, the, the word there can be teach us now to pray. Like, like right now, we need to know. This is something we got to know. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father. That's an important word that we skip over sometimes. But the truth is that what he's saying is, when you pray, say to him, Dad. Jesus in the New Testament, when he is recorded praying, only one time in his recorded prayings does he not start his prayers with Dad. And not just Father, but with the term that most children in his day and time would have been their first or second word, would have been like Dada for us. Abba. He says, when you go to the Father, when you go to pray, it's nothing more than a child going into the arms of a dad who loves them. In fact, Jesus tells this parable over in Luke 18. You don't have to turn there. You can if you want to. But in Luke 18, he tells this parable about a woman. And he says, really, that God's love for us extends beyond even a father's love for us. He says, they taught him a parable in effect that you always pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in the city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, like weeks, months he refused. But afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this woman keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Now here's what I want to tell you. That's not how it works in my house. Okay, if you have kids out there. Like when a kid comes to me and says, hey, dad, can I go? No. Hey, dad, can I? No. Dad, I just wonder, and I know uh, I asked you uh, 30 seconds ago if I could go and you said no. But I was wondering if you'd had time to reconsider that. And my answer is no. Can I tell you one of the most glorious words in the English language for a parent is no. Amen. And the more they ask. This is just me. This is my human nature. The more they ask, the more determined I become that the answer is no. Y'all are looking at me like y'all don't do that out there. And as they say, you know, if it, if it gets to the point like, no, you can't go now. You can't go next week. You may never be able to go because you keep asking me. The answer is no. Look what it says about God here. Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will God not give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? What he says is, not only do I want you to come to me, not only are you invited into my presence, but when you get there, pester me. Keep coming. Keep asking. I love it when you pester me. I love it when you bother me. I love it when you nag at me. That goes beyond my love. No amens in the house of the Lord? goes beyond my love. But he says, that's how much I care about you. Here's the second thing. Not only does God invite us into his presence, here's the second thing. It's amazing. I know this isn't going to blow your mind when you first hear it, but it really is amazing. God hears us. God hears us. I don't know if you know this or not, but this afternoon in Franklin, Tennessee, uh, candidate for the nomination for the Republican Party for the president of the United States is going to speak in Franklin, Tennessee. Okay, that's not even the front runner. 
It's not the main guy that's in, in all the news right now. It's not even the guy that's that's in second so far through the, the things. He's in third. There's a lot of pundits that say he may rise up, but he's third right now. And see what I know, okay? If I went down to Franklin, Tennessee this afternoon, left here, went and got some lunch, went down to, I don't even know what time he's there, but whatever time he's there, and I drove up and I said, uh, hey, uh, I just was wondering if I could have about 20 minutes of Senator Rubio's time. What is the answer going to be from Senator Rubio's team? No. Right? Now, imagine if I got those 20 minutes of Senator Rubio's time, and then I said to him, you're not going to believe the day I've had. Like, man, it's been a hard day at work and at church this morning. Man, I learned this. I mean, I just wanted about 20 minutes just to sit and talk with you for a few minutes. Now, he's not going to do that. Why? He doesn't care. He doesn't have the time and he doesn't care. Now, think about this. All right. That's a guy running for the nomination of one party for the opportunity to run for the president of the United States. And yet the maker of the entire universe says, anytime you come to me, I hear. Anytime you want to sit down and tell me about your day, I hear. Anytime you want to complain to me, I hear. In fact, look what it says in Second Chronicles. You know this passage. Most of us know it for the first part, but look at the second part. It says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. And then he says, now my eyes will be open." And my ears, oh, go back. There it is. My ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. He says, listen, Solomon, your people are going to mess up. And when they mess up, when they come back to me in humility, when they come back to me in repentance, when they come back to me seeking me, I will hear. Psalm 34, 15 says, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Now, here's what I want to tell you, all right? I don't want you to feel guilty about how little you pray, and I really don't. I do think prayer, obviously, is an important part of our Christian life, and I could be better at it. I could do better at it. And if I wanted to make myself feel guilty about it, I could do a good job of that. But I don't think God wants us to feel guilty about it. I want to, I think he wants us to realize what we're missing. The opportunity we have for a loving Heavenly Father to welcome us into his presence and to hear our cries. Yeah, but what if I pray the wrong thing? You're not going to trick God with your prayers. Like God's not going to go, oh, I can't believe I answered that prayer for them. I didn't know. If you pray something ridiculous, God's just going to go, I love you, but no. But thanks for coming. My kids are growing up. Eli turned 13 last week. I don't have... Ava's at the point that last week she told me some of her toys needed to go because they're baby toys and she's not a baby. All right. My kids are growing up. And I've already seen this with my two older ones. And I'm starting to see it even with my third one. How they're reluctant to do that. Come and get in daddy's lap and just cuddle. Now, here's the reason. If Eli did that, it would look strange because he's as big as I am. All right. Right. Like it's not going to happen. But you, parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? That just cuddling up into that spot and just being with mom or dad. And those, I miss those moments with my kids already. I miss those moments of just being there. And when I think about that, I think about that my heavenly father 
wants nothing more than just to be with us and to hear from us. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about some practical things to do in prayer, and we're even going to do some praying in here. But before we even think about that, and before we talk next week about worship and what that looks like, I want us to be reminded that we are welcome guests in the house of the Lord and that He hears our cries. Let's pray together.